Okay, so we are on the second sermon in a short sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And we're going through it line by line. Why would we do that? We're doing that so that we can have a deeper meaning of what Jesus met, meant when he said, pray this way, so that we'll know what it was he was wanting us to think about and take to the Lord. I want to start by just um, reviewing that this ties into our adult small groups as well. Our topic is apprenticeship to Jesus, and the three goals of that are to be with Jesus. So just like Jesus was with the Father 24-7 in intimate communion, we want to be in communion with him in that same way. And then the second goal is to become like Jesus— So just as the disciples of any rabbi did, we want to be a carbon copy of Jesus, and we want to become the person that the Sermon on the Mount describes, and we want to take on the inner life of Jesus so it becomes second nature to us. And then the third goal is to do what Jesus did, to join in Jesus's kingdom work with him. So right now, we're on goal one. So be with Jesus. And we are talking about prayer as our first um, habit of being like Jesus. And so the first practice is prayer. The first habit is prayer. And within that, then we're starting with the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to read the same text that uh, Josh read last week in his sermon. It'll be the text that we use throughout this whole series And it's going to be Matthew 6, 5 through 13, and Luke 11, 1 through 4. So I'm just going to read these to you. Matthew 6, 5 through 13. This is Jesus speaking. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners with the goal of being seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your closet, in your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling, blah, 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 like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, the Luke passage. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation." As we were thinking through Be With Jesus, we thought prayer was the practice that would benefit our community the most to start with. 
In being with Jesus, prayer is one of the most important things. And I think one of the things we have the most questions about. And so in the Luke passage, the disciples ask Jesus how to pray. And he teaches them by giving them a prayer. He teaches them by giving them his prayer, the prayer that he often prayed. He was giving his followers a gift. When they were asking, teach us how to pray, they were asking, Jesus, how do you do all the things the Father has called you to do? Jesus, how do you live the way the Father has called you to live? This prayer is how he did that. This prayer and his connection with the Father is how he did that. And every line of this prayer reflects something we need to say to ourselves and we need to say to the Father every day. It's a prayer that we've called the Lord's Prayer. It's interesting that a lot of people, including people that aren't Christians, know this prayer or at least are familiar with it. I think it's important to notice that we don't see Jesus teaching his disciples how to preach. That doesn't mean he didn't do it at some point, but he did teach them how to pray. Maybe that's an indication that to know how to talk to God is more important than to know how to talk to people. And I'm not saying it's not important to know how to talk to people. What I'm saying is it's just more important to know how to talk to our Father. In Matthew 6, 5 through 13, we find this prayer smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The sermon where Jesus tells us how to live in his kingdom and what it looks like, how different it is from the, how we and the world think it should be. It's an upside down kingdom where whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, where the first shall be last and the last shall be first, where the meek will inherit the earth. And where whoever loses their life for Jesus and the gospel will save it. Everything Jesus flips on its head, it's upside down. Jesus knew that our prayers tend to be reactive. We tend to pray when we're reacting to something. Thank you for something you've done for me. Help me with some situation I'm in. I'm sorry for something I've done. We're reacting to things. But to continue to live in his upside-down kingdom, we need to pray proactively. And that's what this prayer is about. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us. Forgive us. Deliver us. Those are all proactive prayers. I want you to notice one other thing about the Lord's Prayer because before we move on to the line we're going to talk about today. It also seems to address the two commands that Jesus say are the greatest. What are they? What are the two commands he says are the greatest? Yeah, love God, love your neighbor. So in the first part, we see him teaching us about loving God. He teaches us how to orient ourselves, who we are compared to God. So he teaches us how to orient ourselves to the Father and to express loyalty, allegiance, and love for him and his priorities in our world. Your name, your kingdom, your will. 
And then he teaches us to love our neighbor. After we've oriented ourselves to the Father properly, we can bring our requests for the community. He says, give us bread, forgive us, deliver us. Notice the word us, not me. Jesus knew the word me. He could have said me there, but he said us, which indicates that he's talking about praying for us, not just for ourselves. The Lord's Prayer is an amazing gift from Jesus to us. And so we want to take the time to learn how can we pray this prayer with the same mindset and the same heart that Jesus prayed. So the line we're talking about today is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm going to start with your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What are we even asking for? when we ask for his kingdom to come. The easiest way to think about this is in terms of God's space in our space. So God's space is heaven and our space is earth. And when we go back to the Garden of Eden, we see that God's space and our space are totally overlapped. So God's space, our space, Garden of Eden, totally overlap. But our God is so sweet to us, he never forces us to choose him. And so from the beginning, he gave humans free will to build our world in harmony with him and his definitions of good and evil, or we could choose to go with our definitions of good and evil. And that's exactly what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve chose to go with our definitions of good and evil, and that's what we refer to as the fall. So after the fall, heaven and earth separate, but there's still overlap. Like you can't drive God out of his space. And so we have heaven, we have earth, and we have an overlap. And if you read in the Old Testament, that overlap is the temple. That's the place where God dwelled. It was fixed. It was in a certain place. God was in that particular place. But when Jesus comes to earth and makes his dwelling among us, Jesus replaces the temple as the place where God dwells. And so Jesus, who is God, comes and dwells on earth with us. But whereas the temple stayed in one place, Jesus goes into our world. And so what we see is God's space, our space, it's linked with Jesus. That's the overlap there. And instead of staying in that place, Jesus comes into our world and creates little pockets of heaven. And so one day, this whole space is going to be covered by heaven and they're going to overlap again, which is a really cool thought. And Jesus invites his apprentices, the 12 the other disciples that he had at the time, and then every disciple down through the ages, including us. He invites us to participate in creating pockets of heaven on earth with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When the kingdom fully comes, God's space and human space will completely overlap again. And why God chooses to let us help bring heaven to earth, I will never understand. 
but it's the story throughout the Bible is he lets humans participate in his work. He invites us to do that. And how cool is it that we get to bring parts of heaven to earth, that we get to bring little pockets of the kingdom to earth. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're praying for more and more of heaven to take over more and more of earth. We're praying for more and more of God's kingdom to take over more and more of our lives. It's a prayer where I surrender and say, I want your kingdom, not mine. I want you to be given glory and honor, not me. I want every part of this world to start looking like it will when heaven and earth completely overlap. In my family, in work, in church, in disagreements, in war, in poverty, I want your kingdom to be present. And one of the things I want you to see here is that our prayers make a difference. One of the main ways the kingdom will come is through our prayers to the Father for that to happen. Our prayers change reality. Our prayers usher heaven into earth. And I've done a mashup of some scriptures that I believe describe what that looks like. And so I want you to listen closely and hear if you hear your desire for what that's going to look like. There is a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They are wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cry out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's home is now among his people. He lives with them, and they are his people. God himself is with them, and he has wiped every tear from their eye. He, there is no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, and all those things are gone forever. All who are thirsty are given freely from the springs of the water of life. Scripture mentions over and over again the water of life. All who are victorious inherit all these blessings, and I am their God, and they are my people. Justice is given to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The prisoners are freed, and the eyes of the blind are open. Those who are weighed down are lifted up. The righteous are loved. The foreigners among us are protected. The orphans and widows are cared for, but the plans of the wicked are frustrated. Good news is proclaimed to the poor. The brokenhearted are comforted. Freedom is proclaimed for the prisoners and release from darkness for the captives. The year of the Lord's favor is proclaimed in the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. 
Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it looks like. Think about what you want that to look like. How do you want to see the kingdom come into your life and the people around you into their life? So here are just a few things I want you to think about in regards to praying about your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The first one is, if you're troubled by ways that God's kingdom has not yet fully come in the world, and I think most of us are, and in the lives of the people around us or in your own life, then express your lament to God. If you long for or are excited for his kingdom to come in any of those areas that you long to see that, ask for his kingdom to come in specific ways. Recommit and recenter yourself on being an agent of bringing his kingdom to earth. Recommit to letting God work through you to bring little pockets of his kingdom to the earth. And if there are specific ways that you see his kingdom come in and around your life, then rejoice in those things and thank him for those things. Okay, the second part your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many times we shrink prayer to just asking God for things. We ask and then we wait to see if God will give us what we want. And if he does, we proclaim that he is faithful and good and loving. And if he doesn't, we question if he cares, we question if he's good, and we question if he even exists. Our prayer time is dominated by the thought that I know what's best for my life. And God, would you, I would appreciate it if you would just agree with me and give me what I want. But here's the problem. That's not what Jesus does. And it's not what Jesus teaches us to do when we pray. Now, don't get me wrong. We are going to see that we ask for some things in this prayer. But he does the exact opposite of wanting what of asking for what he wants. He teaches us to surrender our lives to God's will and to let prayer become a tool to free us from bondage to ourselves and transform us to be more like him. At this point you might be wondering why does God want us to pray that his kingdom come and his will be done when he's more than able to bring those things without our prayers? And again, it's because he invites us to participate in bringing the kingdom with our prayers, our heart, and our actions. That's the theme all throughout the Bible. In David Guzik's Enduring Word commentary, he talks about the fact that people can say your will be done with different attitudes. We may say it with resentment. You're, you will do your will, and there's nothing I can do about it anyway. Your will wins, but I don't like it. Or we can say it with faith and trust. Do your will because I know what is best. Because I know it is best. Change my heart to desire your will above my own. And we see a powerful example of that second way of asking for the Lord's will to be done in Jesus's life in Matthew 26. 
It's when Jesus is praying in the garden before he's arrested and before what ultimately will be his crucifixion. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus tells God what he wants, and then he says, but more than that, I want your will to be done in my life. I want your will to be done in this world. Jesus teaches us an important lesson here. The will of God is not always easy. What Jesus was asking for when he said your will be done was not easy. And it's not always safe. But Paul teaches in Romans 12 that God's will is always good, pleasing, and perfect. So to pray your will be done on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, can feel like a dangerous prayer by the world's standards. After all, it cost Jesus his life. And so when we pray God's will be done, we have to be willing to pay the price for that and to put our trust, our faith, and our hope that he is good, that he knows way more than we know, and that he's going to do what's best for us and for his world. J.I. Packer says it this way, Here more clearly than anywhere, the purpose of prayer becomes plain, not to make God do my will, but to bring my will into line with his. And that's exactly what your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means. So two things to think about. When you say your will be done, are there areas where you're pursuing your own will instead of his? If so, confess those and repent. Are there areas where you long to see what is best to be done, but you don't know what that is? Give those to God and ask for his will to be done because he will always do what's best. Before we pray the Lord's Prayer together, let's put together the lines that Josh talked about last week with the line we talked about today. So it starts with our Father who art in heaven. God is the best Father who is reigning over the whole universe. That's what we're saying there. Hallowed be thy name. He is holy. He is completely unique. He is, has no rival and he has no equal. Thy kingdom come, let more and more of heaven take over more and more of earth. Thy will be done, bring my will into line with yours, your will, not mine. On earth as it is in heaven, here in our space as it is in your space. So those are the first two lines, and then we'll have some more sermons about the rest of the lines. So if you will stand, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Um, I want you to give you a little bit of insight into how our staff operates. We had a ridiculously long conversation about what version we should use to recite the Lord's Prayer. And we went through, well, should it be contemporary where it's more like people would talk now? Should it be um, the King James Version? Because that's how most people learned it. What should we do? We looked up all different kinds of versions and read them out loud and ultimately, we decided most people have learned this in the King James, and so that's what we're going to go with. 
We are not doing that to sanction this version of the Lord's Prayer. We are simply doing that so that we can all pray it together in unity. So we're going to just pray through this together right now. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you. You can sit back down. Okay, Josh, you're up. What's up? Um, Leslie, I should have had you just stay up here because you're going to come up super quickly. So um, so the first thing we're going to do, we're going to do some announcements and stuff like that like we normally do. But we're first, we're going to have uh, Leslie and Devin share. We had a group of our leaders go to a conference um, this, that's about three weeks ago, three weekends ago. And so they're going to come share just a couple of takeaways. And then we'll continue with announcements and wrap up. So come on up. Hello. Um. After I talk, I might just sprint out of here and peel off, but okay, it's not that bad. Um, <laughs> so me and Leslie went to a conference the beginning of October called um, Revoice, and we're going to show some takeaways from it, but first I want to tell you what it was about. So the mission statement was to support and encourage gay, lesbian, bisexual, and other same-sex attracted Christians, as well as those who love them so that all in the church might be empowered to live in gospel unity while observing the historic Christian doctrine of marriage and sexuality. Um, then kind of um, looking at the vision statement, it says, um, the vision revoices a great church environment for gay or SSA Christians feel like they belong and can thrive. They also want to equip these individuals to use their unique situations to serve the church and share the gospel. Um, yeah, the conference is led by um, gay or same-sex attracted Christians, and they have a heart for loving people like them and helping them guide and lead the church while following the scripture and the Holy Spirit's promptings. So even though um, there's various denominations and viewpoints that came to the conference, um, most of the speakers who are gay decided after thoroughly studying scripture and advocating personal life experiences remain single and celibate um, with maybe a few, maybe like two, deciding to marry someone of the opposite sex. Um, as you may have noticed um, from the vision statement, most of them are not ashamed of their sexuality. Instead, they believe it's a healthy way of communicating one's experience, the attraction in and of itself. To them, it's not something that needs to be hidden or fixed. Um, so we wanted to share some takeaways from the conference, and I was writing I ended up like writing like six pages and then Leslie got mad at me. So then um, I honed it down to like one session. Um, so a guy named Greg Vigan talked about shame, which is sadly a topic that many LGBTQ um, people know all too well. He described shame as believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Shame then is an unlovable sense of self. Um, he didn't talk about how to recover from shame, 
Um, the talk was a lot deeper than this, um, but um, a lot more complicated than my recap. But um, he talked about mourning and confessing shame because the power of the hill is not in hiding. Then he challenges us to think about how Jesus approaches shame. I think this is so cool that the um, worship and some of what Leslie shared talked about this, um, how God sees us. Um, but a quote by him, we can't believe the lie that we are unforgivable. Jesus is inviting you to mourn your sin, specifically not to shame you, but to bless and comfort you. And he said, what do you believe about how Jesus is looking at you? Is he saying shame on you? Who do you think you are? Or is he saying, I love you? I like you. I'm so glad to be with you. Um, then he discussed learning from our shame and asked a very interesting question. Do I believe I need shame to manage my behavior? Um, he challenged the idea that we need shame to make us feel bad about what we are doing so we won't do it anymore when the actuality kindness of God leads us to repentance. Um, lastly, he talked about how to find what is most redemptive about your shame and see how God wants to use it. Um, I just, yeah, I just thought that that talk was really hopeful for people in the room who often feel like they're not loved or welcomed. They can see God as someone who loves and welcomes them. Um, yeah, and also just helpful for anyone dealing with low self-worth or anything. So now Leslie's going to share what she took away, and I'm going to go hide. <laughs> Thank you, Devin. So I want to back up just a second and tell you why I went to this conference. Last year, the DNC staff sent Devin to the conference as one of our pastoral cohorts. And we wanted to see if it might help us to think about how to help gay and same-sex attracted Christians in the DNC community to feel a sense of belonging while still encouraging them to obey the biblical teachings on marriage and sexuality. And because Devin came back from that conference and he shared a lot of things with us and he was really excited about it, this year Ryan Plache, Tate Hollingsworth, and myself joined him there. Um, as Devin mentioned, the speakers at the conference are gay, bisexual Christians who have decided to remain single and celibate or have married opposite-sex partners out of obedience to Christ. And I heard Luke Calvin speak on longings. He spoke of unmet longing as a place of emptiness, and he asked the question, what if our unmet longings and desires are meant to lead us to God? He went on to talk about how emptiness becomes the birthplace of fullness when we sit with God. It was such a good message for the audience that Luke was speaking to, but also to any of us that are disciples. So we all have unmet longings, and Jesus is the one who will meet all of our longings. And that talk was so good. And but I think the biggest thing that we brought back from that is that the vision of rejoice, the first line of it says to see gay, same-sex attracted people who adhere to historic Christian teaching about marriage and sexuality experience peace and belonging in their local faith communities. And that was something that we wanted to start a conversation about, wanted to start thinking about and praying through. Um, because we believe that their mission statement gives dignity to people and is true to scripture. 
and it's hard to find both things. And we believe both of those things are very important to Jesus. I'm in no way saying that we have this all figured out. We don't. But we have a better vision of what it could look like than we did before we went. And so, um, yeah, so I was just wanted to share that with you this morning. And Devin, too. So that's especially exciting, and we're very thankful, one, for the leaders that we have here in our community, and also that when we look outward and we look out in the world that there are believers we can look to who are trying to figure these things out and that God's working and moving in people, and so that we can we can look at the way that this group, this conference is approaching this and seeking scripture, listening to people's stories and hurts, and and we can take guidance from them, which is really helpful. So Devin's going to be doing, you've heard about the discussion groups Devin's done in the past. He's working on another one that will start in January. And so we don't have a lot more uh, details about it right now, but I just wanted to put that on, on your radar, that there'll be a discussion group in the vein of this conversation that Devin's planning to start um, in, in January, kind of a mixture between a book club and a discussion slash listening to uh, sermons and, and talks and stuff like that. So just wanted you guys to know what's going to be happening next with this stuff. So uh, in that vein, we'll also continue with more announcements. The first is communion. Um, We have been announcing this for the past couple of weeks, but we're very excited that communion is being a little bit more special to us now. We've got bread, we have juice. We can actually get up out of our seats and mingle a little bit. Uh, A lot of things that if you were here, part of our church community before COVID, were very normal parts of our everyday, every, you know, every week gatherings. And so uh, one of the things that we want to do is have plenty of people to help continue this. So Claudia is kind of heading up the bread baking aspect of that. And then also uh, Sterling's helping with the operations here on Sunday mornings to get juice in the cups and get bread broken up and all that stuff. So if you'd like to help them, um, you can text them here. Those are the two different aspects that they kind of oversee. Uh, we'd love to have plenty of help to make sure that we can make this a consistent uh, thing each week. And also just a note on the gluten-free, we, we will try to have gluten-free um, bread every week. We have enough people who really need that. But just make sure when you're kind of getting in a line that you're not just taking some of the gluten-free bread from somebody because there's been, last week we had a lot of people enjoy gluten-free bread, uh, probably on accident, I'm guessing. So anyway, we didn't quite have a lot today. But anyway, that's just a note. And I want to just share that the goal is really that we want communion to feel like a special meal, feel like something when we're enjoying, remembering Jesus together. And so it's, it's good that we get to not have to be only somber as we do it. We can talk, we can mingle. But one thing I want to say is just be purposeful with that time. As you're talking with the person you're in line next to you, talk about what Jesus means to you. Talk about whoever shared a communion thought, something that stood out to you. Um, just, I would say, take advantage of your conversations. Uh, they don't need to be super serious or somber. They can be rejoiceful, they can be thankful, they can be really uh, good, uplifting conversations. Um, but I would say just just remember what we're doing when we're doing it and not just default to, you know, talking about memes or, or whatever other things that we talk about in our free time. So, um, but it's, it's a really exciting thing to get to have communion in this way and be able to do it together and not just be in our individual little um, seats and with our individual little communion packet things. So, um, I'm excited about that. Hope you are too. Let's keep it going and, and get the most use out of it. The next thing is the prayer night, um, which is happening not this Thursday, but there we go. Nice. We fixed it. Next Thursday at 7 p.m. at the Hollingsworth house. 
this is a really sweet time just to come together and pray for both our church community, the needs in our community, but also our city and our just our country. Um, there's a lot there, and, and the time always flies by. It's only an hour, but it sometimes feels like 30 minutes. Um, it's a really enjoyable time, so please put that in your calendar and don't miss it. Kurt and Don have been leading that, but we've had people helping lead and kind of change up the style a little bit each time. And so it's been a little different each time this, this semester, so that's been really cool. So please don't miss that. It's a great chance for us to also just put into practice what we're learning on Sundays and in our small groups about our prayer lives and, and growing that and enriching it and changing it and growing in a deeper relationship in our prayer with God. So we can do that together as a group as well. We're in the last days of the Metro Auto Ministry uh, fundraising campaign. It's been going really slow. Um, and metroautoministry.org is how you can just see updates, see stories. You can see uh, where it's, how it's going, where we're at. Um, but one of the things that we've noticed is that we typically end up having around 90 to 100 just donors, regardless of the amount, and probably partly because of the fact that we're not able to use fundraising, the fundraising platform on Facebook. We only have, I think, about 30-something donors so far in this campaign. So we're not at our goal in terms of the, the amount, but we're also not really reaching the normal amount of people that would give at least something. So uh, I just wanted to share that with you guys that we're low on the, on the money, but also just the people giving anything. And so if you've been thinking about doing that, helping people who really cannot afford a car repair or a car period and are struggling to make ends meet, who are low income, if you've been thinking about wanting to give to that, please do that as soon as you can. Uh, a lot of you guys have, and it's been super helpful. Our church always has really come around this, this nonprofit that we basically started and rolled off. Um, we've always had uh, a lot of you guys really caring about it. So don't, I'm not shaming or guilting you, but if you've been thinking about it and just haven't given yet, please do that. MetroAutoMinistry.org will only go for a few more days and then we'll close it down. Um, and the last thing is giving for our church. Um, that's one of the things that it really dovetails great because one of the things that's a, a really big heart for our community is helping with practical needs, both in our community, you guys right here, and outside of our community that come our way. And so that's a regular part of where our budget goes, where our money goes, as well as wanting to pour back into you for resources to, to grow you uh, in your spiritual life and help you with your needs. We also want to be thinking about the, the kingdom at large. As Leslie was talking about today, we want to be able to respond to the things that Jesus asked us to do to help grow his kingdom, which means that we want to always be thinking about the future. We always want to be thinking about what does it take next? What's the next thing? Do we need to add more staff people? Do we need to go plant another church? Do we need to help with the, uh, one of the churches in our family of churches who's needing money? Whatever that is, those are the things that we really prioritize for our, our giving. And so DentonNorthChurch.com slash donate is how you can give to the church and also on Venmo at Denton North Church. I'm going to say a brief prayer. Yes, sir. Oh, what is it? Ooh, nice. Love it. Love it when we get a curveball announcement. I'll read it right along with you guys. The women's event is a come and go thing. Halloween party. Spooky. Hope you're ready. There could be spiders. There could be hats. Just be careful. Okay. Be ready for that. That's going to be on October 30th, which is that today. Nice. Nice. Perfect. At three, three to 5 PM. And it's at the Hausman's. Nice. So, uh, Adrienne and Ryan are here. And we'll, let's leave this up for a little bit just so they can get a chance to like take a picture of it and see the address and stuff like that while we're tearing things down. Um, but don't miss that. That seems like it's going to be super fun. So ladies, come and go. Do it. Pumpkin carving, all that stuff. You probably already heard about this in the women's group me, and I'm the one that didn't know about it. So don't miss that. Uh, let's pray together. 
Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for, um, for just being so kind and patient with us, teaching us how to pray, teaching us how to be in connection with you, in connection with the Father. Lord, help us to always seek to do your will, to hear from you what your will is. Help us in our hearts to really be, um, to be able to let go of what we want, let go of our will. Help us to be able to just discern what's us, what's you. Um, Lord, I ask that as we practice that this week, as we think through your kingdom coming, your will being done on earth as it is in heaven, that you will help us see what that looks like. Help us to keep that in front of our minds. Um, it's a challenging thing to lay down what we want and to instead let you fill it with what you want. Lord, help us um, be patient with us. Thank you for being, for being so good to us. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.